Um, today, I want to share with you, we're going to uh, do a little different approach for the next few weeks. Um, not too much of a deviation, but you'll see some of the little variances because um, we're going to start in the, the book of Galatians. And before we do, I want to go over something um, that I think, uh, I think we can all relate to. And that is, have you ever tried to improve something only to end up with a mess? You know, I mean, I think we can all relate, right? Uh, when I was a kid, I was, I think, 12 or so. I'll see if I can dig up the photo from this particular time in my life. But I had this really cool Styrofoam 747 airplane. So the way I got it was I was the top carrier for the Idaho Statesman in getting subscriptions that particular month or quarter or whatever. And so this airplane was my choice of prizes. Now, you realize this wasn't just a couple weeks ago, right? I mean, this was, I was 12, so we're heading rewind for a long ways. And, and I was the only one in the neighborhood that had this styrofoam 747. It had like a four-foot wingspan. Um, it was, you know, had these little decal doors and windows and graphics on the side. It looked like a, a regular 747, of course. You had to assemble it yourself, and uh, I thought I was quite the aeronautical specialist after I put this together and flew it around the neighborhood and it was just awesome. But then someone suggested I should paint it. So they're like, hey, you should, you should paint this. And it just seemed like a good idea. I mean, after all, it was white. It looked like a styrofoam airplane. <laughs> you know, it looked better silver, of course. You know, it looked more real. So, okay, it seemed like a, a pretty simple task, of course, you know, uh, made sense. You know, what could it hurt? So I pulled the stickers off and I, I carefully cleaned it and I began to paint it. But a, a problem quickly developed. Have you ever painted a styrofoam cup with Krylon paint? <laughs> so you know where I'm going with it, see? So this uh, functionally, uh, basically a lacquer base kind of paint kind of melts and liquefies styrofoam. And so this Krylon silver that I had jacked off my dad's paint bench, you know, off his shelf and began to paint melted right through this previously functional glider. It worked fine before I improved it, but then I had a mess on my hands. And so you're like, cool story, Dan, whoopee. Um, that's what's going on in Galatians. They had the good stuff, they had the right thing. They had the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then somebody comes along and says, that's cool. But you can improve on it. Let me show you what you also have to do. You've got to have this in addition to those things. And, and the gospel was given to the people in the, in the region, the, the area of Galatia. It's an interesting letter because, you know, Thessalon, Thessalonians, there was a church in the city of Thessalonica. Corinthians, Corinth, Ephesians, Ephesus. To the churches in the region of Galatia was a letter that was actually wrote to a group of people, a group of churches, because there were some things going on, and those people in those churches had heard the gospel. And then these, what we know to be, as you'll see from the text today, some Judaizers, they, they were the Jewish background, came along with their improvements, and the Christians who followed those Judaizers we're headed for a crash landing. 
because the gospel had been corrupted. The good news had been really taken from them. So let me just say one more thing, and that is that what we're going to do by format, or a little, a slight variation, variety you could say, is we're going to fly over Galatians. We're basically going to be, be looking at the book from above, so to speak, on Sundays. So your part through the week will be to, to drop down a little lower and dig in and, and look a little closer. So as I'm going to go through chapter 1 today, through the week, you'll just read through Galatians as, as you desire to get more involved and, and get a deeper understanding of this particular book. It takes you 20 minutes in a read-through to read the entire letter. So I don't know how you are, but when I discover and remind myself of those things, it, it's kind of embarrassing that I don't have 20 minutes just to settle in and, and, and read through or, or kind of put my mind in or just soak it up. So anyway, you could read the whole letter in 20 minutes or you could just settle in and, and read through the week and see what God shows you. You may find yourself parking and, and even digging in deeper. You might even find yourself going, well, I don't understand this part. I mean, that's kind of interesting. Well, I would encourage you, you know, um, you can go to our website and you can go to where the sermons are on the menu bar, click on sermons, and then you bring up the sermon page and then you scroll down and there's just for your benefit, you can dig in just for reference to a series called Free at Last. I went through the book of Galatians chapter by chapter, verse by verse in 2020, and we covered um, on Sunday night and Wednesday night. So it's a series down towards the bottom on that page. So you can take a look at that as well. You see what I'm encouraging you to is I love sharing on Sunday. I, I really do. But we all know that's not going to be enough food for the soul to carry you through the week. And hopefully this will be a kind of a taste where you can take hold of and then dig in on your own. And I believe you'll be greatly encouraged as you see the word of God come alive in your own life through your own study. And so I encourage you to do that. Let's pray, God, as we would approach your word we don't do it with any sense of casualness or, or um, any kind of simplicity in the sense of which is no big deal. Lord, you have preserved these truths. You have presented them to us. You have given us the intellectual capacity to comprehend the, what's on paper. You've given us your spirit, your heart to reveal the truth that we need to take hold of. And so I would ask today, God, you would speak to each one of us as we've gathered here and as you meet us in this time and we worship you through fellowship, the gathering together. We worship you through giving. We worship you through music and we worship you as we receive your word. Oh God, teach us each individually, draw us together collectively, show us God the joy, the hope, the life that you have for us. Help us, Lord, to know your strength in troubling times. Help us to realize your call, your invitation to each one of us to walk close with you. And so I'm just trusting, looking to you, God, to speak to me, to speak to each one of us, or to remind us of your faithfulness, of your love, of your hope, of your wisdom, of your truth of your kindness, of your compassion. And Lord, may we be shaped by you to reflect you in the world around us. Now, Lord, do that work even today in your name, Jesus. Amen. So as we go through this book, I'm going to draw on three points that I see present in almost every portion of Scripture. When you go from a sense of looking at it, 
to then processing it and then applying it. There, there's three things that I think are they're very simple, but it's essential for growing in your spiritual life. There's the truth, the trouble, and the transformation. And so when you think about that, you know, just think about if you've read the Bible much, you know there's a truth there. But then it also sparks and spurs a little question or concern. Or maybe because of that truth, you're going, oh, wow, but what about this? It can be a little bit of trouble. And there's other things we'll see. But then there's the transformation. As we're told in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2, to not be uh, conformed, shaped by this world, but be transformed. So that literally speaks of metamorphosis, um, you know, caterpillar to butterfly, to be transformed. How is that? By the renewing of your mind. Realizing and recognizing God's work in your life and learning to think with that truth in mind. And so the truth, the trouble, and the transformation. We're going to look in um, Galatians chapter 1. We'll look at the truth portion. It's actually embedded throughout this chapter, but I'm going to draw it for emphasis and understanding. We're going to begin in verse 1, read through 5, pick up on 11 and 12. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever Amen. Verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me or preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let's begin with this first portion speaking of truth. Paul takes the time to make known that what he has, he received from God. Is that relevant today? I think it's very relevant because you and I, we are living 2000 years since, or give or take, of course, since this, not only this conversation that Paul's bringing from the Lord to us, but from since the resurrection. And what do people say in our generation? Well, you know, you don't know that the Bible was actually translated correctly. You don't know that that's actually what was really said. How do you know this is not just something that men promoted? And by promoting it, it multiplied. And by multiplying, it became more popular. By being more popular, people just, it's just, it's just a teaching of men. See, you, you deal with that today. And you got to hold on to the promise, the truth. The truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Gospel means good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God's message to humanity. It's not man's message of hope. Man should embrace it. It's a truth from God. Why is that important? Well, because you can see when we recognize this is the promise, this is the truth. Paul is saying, listen... This I, I received from the Lord. This is, this is God's word to humanity. It's an important promise. Paul, you see, uses a word there as an apostle. It speaks of he was a, he was a delegate, um, an ambassador, a, a messenger, a representative. He literally is, is one sent forth with orders. See, we know a little bit about Paul, and we'll be able to look at some of that today. 
Paul understood the difference between having religion and having a relationship. Because Paul, see, we know Paul was very zealous and very aggressive in his, his Judaism. Remember that? I mean, I just do a quick review of his life. He was confronted with the growing movement in his time. He was a devout Jew. He was born right in the right family. He was raised right by devoted parents. He was taught right by the rabbinical circles. He had everything working for him. And he chose to live right according to those standards. And he heard about this movement. This new thing that was being ever popular. What we now call Christianity. Following Christ. As it's developing, he decides, you know what? I'm going to deal with this. Not only would he incite persecution. He already did that. We know because he held the coats while Stephen was stoned to death at one of the early church members. But he not only did that, he aggressively went from Jerusalem past the modern day border of Israel into what we know as Syria and Damascus. You remember, right? He's on the road to Damascus. And on the road to Damascus, as he's promoting this religion and he's determined to stop this newborn problem, he has an encounter with the living God, with Jesus himself, this Damascus Road experience where his religion collided with the person, Jesus Christ. And in that process and in that whole thing, he come to a real life understanding of the truth of Jesus Christ. If you glance at verse 4, thinking of what we're looking at as this truth, we know Paul gave himself to deal with the sins. Paul determined to do things for it. He, he was going to deliver himself from this present even, evil age. He was going to be according to the will of God and our Father, according to Paul's interpretation. But it's so important, if you determine to live for God... That you actually listen to God. Agreed? Well, I think God wants me to do this. It says, says how many different groups over the history of humanity. Who then just do what they want to do. And they say God wants them to do it that way. But they never really conferred. They never really received from the living God. Which is kind of what Paul was doing in a way. See, Paul had what you and I have. Some of them different. But it's pretty much a core thing. Paul had... A religion of reference. You have one. It's what you're born into. You know, so there's a variety, even in this room and listening online, and you reflect back as a child, you were introduced to something. It was your family's identity. It was your family's connection. Maybe it wasn't practiced a lot. Maybe it was just when somebody got married or died that it was, it was introduced or considered. You just grew up with it. And at some point, you have to decide, well, is that mine? I mean, that's what I was born into, but, but is that really me? And so Paul, he had that. He had that religion of reference, and, and he, he really tried to live it the, according to what he thought was the right thing. But now he's declaring to you and me, listen, I know the difference between performing for a religion and having a living relationship with God. And so he has to sort it out. You're going to see from our text today, he has to spend a few years figuring out what this means, how this is lived out, if you would. He tried to follow it. He tried to be good according to the law. 
His approach was follow the law. See, the, the thought in human minds is if you follow all the rules, it'll take you where you're supposed to go. But that's actually a misunderstanding of the purpose of the law. See, the law simply confirmed that you're guilty of sin. That was the purpose of the law. It wasn't to liberate you or free you or keep you from sinning. It actually proved that you were a sinner. The law, like a, a thermometer, simply confirmed the truth. So you think about it. We could step outside and have service outside. I mean, we could just do it. And some of you would go, yes, it's hot in here. And others would be like, are you out of your mind? It's freezing out there. Siberia out there. Well, where's, where's the truth? Where's the, I mean, you can't go by just opinion or feeling or, you know, your own thermostat. How do you measure? A thermometer puts a number on it. A thermometer doesn't change the temperature. It just shows you what it is. And the law simply showed that we were sinners. It was never meant to, to cleanse us. It was meant to show us, and we'll see this when we work our way over to Galatians 3. It was meant to reveal that we need a tutor, a schoolmaster. We need a mediator. We need a savior. Because the knowledge of the law just confirmed that we're, we're, we're sinners. So it's really powerful, really interesting to think about it. Because Paul, I believe, really got a hold of this. And he realized that forgiveness and new life is from God and not man. You can see that in verse 4 and 5. When you see the context of how he's presenting this. He, God himself, he gave himself for our sins. That he might deliver us from when? Now. This present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. It's God's desire that no man would perish, but all would come to repentance. Would come to the realization that you can have a relationship with God. It's not religion-based. It's relationship. And so it's God's desire that we would, now, we would recognize that. Now, the reason I need to emphasize this at the beginning of this book is because this is the core of the book, the truth. There's truths you have to embrace. There's foundations you have to frame for your life, and you hold on to those, and that's where your reasoning, that's where your stability, that's where you live from. And one of those truths, I believe one of the most essential truths, is knowing that God provides forgiveness. Not only providing forgiveness, he provides regeneration. It's a, it's a you know, bigger word to just say born again. To where you can be born again, forgiven of sins, and literally born inside, born of the Spirit. And being born again, then we're, we're changed from the inside out. We start living a new life. And we're going to get into some of this here in a minute. But you see how this passage in verses 4 and 5, five recognize it was God's desire. And so therefore to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And so amen is, doesn't mean goodbye. It doesn't mean just end your time together. Amen is interesting. It means um, so it is. Uh, so be it. May it be fulfilled. See, it has been done, so it is. This is not, you could eventually be saved if you did enough. It's all, salvation has already been accomplished and has now been offered to you. And so that is what it is. So it is. So be it. So be it to those who would receive it. Not only just that 
initial conversion we consider with Paul, but the ongoing transformation, so be it. May we continue to be transformed, conformed into his image and likeness. May it be fulfilled. So there's a lot to that in the context because you see it's kind of early on for an amen, right? We're, we're five verses in. So unless you're just going to say it all the time, I believe there's something there. We're like, okay, well, there's more to it. So this is the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gift of salvation to humanity. And there's no, ad- and no add-ons. There's nothing else put to it. Let's consider it because that's the trouble. The truth is it's God's word to humanity. It's God's work for humanity. It's God's will for humanity individually. That's the truth. Well, where's the trouble? Well, the trouble is... As you see in verses 6 through 10, there's some challenges. Notice as it reads, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert or distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven Preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For, I, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Back in verse 6, he marvels that what had been handed off to them, they're quickly, so quickly turning it in for something better. They're trying an improvement. See, here's the thing to remember. When you start your journey with Jesus, there will, there will always be someone who wants to redirect you, who wants to enlighten you, who wants to improve you. Oh, I'm glad that you, yeah, man, I'm glad you're going to church. I'm glad you made this change in your life. Do you realize now, you know, as you do that, now you need to start doing this. And it always sounds logical. It's almost like an improvement. Yeah, well, gosh, that makes sense. But in reality, what had happened, and here I could present to you probable logic in the early church from the Judaizers. Man, that's awesome that you're following Jesus. You know, Paul, he's a passionate person. He's witty. He tells good stories, gives good insight. Man, it's neat that he shared that truth with you. But remember, Jesus was a Jew. And being a Jew, he followed the law of Moses. So you also, not only now because you believe in Jesus, you've got to follow this law of Moses as well. Do you see the logic? Wouldn't that be easy to get sucked into? And drawn, oh, that's a good point. That makes sense. And Paul's saying, "Uh uh-uh, you can't add on to this. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law, and then he was the power to bring life when the law could bring no life. So that's the difference. And so they would come in, and they they would suggest that, you know, hey, Paul is good for as far as he went with you, but let's go the rest of the way. Now you have to start doing these other things. That's an add on. I don't care if it comes from somebody calls him a Latter-day Saint or a Pope. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And I know the logic. I know how my brain functions some days. So, Pastor Dan, you're saying to me that as long as I believe in Jesus, then I get to go to heaven. No matter what I do the rest of my life. 
Yes, I am saying that. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But understand this. When you encounter love, when you experience love, when you know forgiveness, you live different. You don't live different to get it. But when you have it, you go, whoa, I want more of that. You start making choices in light of the love you've experienced. When you know forgiveness, first of all, when you know your sin, in the darkness of that sin, that's just a very depth of your soul that you keep to yourself and nobody sees, you think. But when you know that, and then you're forgiven of that weight, of that darkness, when you are reborn, and all things are new, you're like, at the very core, you're new. You don't go, ah, that's cool. I want to go back to the darkness. You literally are going, man, I, I, I'm experiencing love. How many of you, when you're hungry, this is a real simple analogy, when you're hungry, and maybe you're hungry for sweets, we'll say, and there's a plate of donuts, and they're free to your, they're like how we do it. They cut them into small pieces, so they somehow make you, if you, don't, if you eat small pieces of a donut, you never eat a full donut. You just eat pieces. doesn't count against you, calorie, calorie, calorie count. So here's this presented to you, you're super hungry, and you're like, hey, have a donut. Man, that's awesome. That was really good. I don't want any more. Really? Really? Seriously, it's just not going to happen that way. You may not be hungry. You may be able to satisfy. You may have guilt over sugar. Get over it. But nonetheless, in that moment when you're hungry, you go back to what was, you tasted and you've seen it was good. And you go back to it. See, why do I belabor that a little bit? Because I understand if you're born again, born of the Spirit, there will be a visible difference in your life. You don't make that difference to get the life. It's because you have the life. Your life is different. And that's what we see. The troublemakers, they want to they add on to it. Well, now that you're saved, you have to do this to stay saved. As long as you do things this way and follow our system, then you're going to be okay. And here's what they did. The same thing they do now. So many of them are influential or charismatic or persuasive. They may even be angelic. But when you add anything to the gospel, it's trouble. It just creates trouble because it's taken away from the good news. And Paul, he was, he was criticized. We know not only when he went to Corinth, but many places he went. The academic elite those who relied on men's man-made systems to establish hierarchy and credentials, they discredited Paul because he didn't go through their system. He wasn't a product of, of what they are. So, so when he, you see here in this text or this chapter, he's establishing first and foremost, this wasn't my gospel in the sense of I wrote it. This was the gospel of Jesus Christ. This came not from men, but from God. So when they would then critique or maybe say, you know, Paul's a nice guy, but he just didn't have it all. He doesn't know. He needed to know more. The reason I mention this again is because you deal with the same thing. You deal with the same thing. When you share with someone about your faith, when you're trying to figure it out and somebody asks about your life being different, they've observed it. And you go, well, you know, I just I was reading and, and I, you know, was studying and you start talking about the Bible. You'll have people think you're not qualified. Who are you to talk about the Bible? You're not, you're not educated. You don't know what you're talking about. You guys will experience that. Am I not right? It'll come from somebody. Here's the thing. Let's recognize in regards to the trouble, 
There is a source. We know, because Jesus said this, of the enemy of your soul, the very thief who wants to steal from you any true understanding of the living God. Jesus said that one, Satan, desires to steal, to kill, and destroy. He, he wants to make you weak and, and incompetent. He wants you to perceive that you're not as important as someone else to God. He wants to undermine. He, literally, that's his goal. That's his job description, if you want to see it in a short summary. To steal, to kill, and destroy. How, what's his strategy? So he's got to he, see the source. He has this idea, this, this, this intention. What's his strategy? Undermine what God has done. Imply that you are incomplete. You are incapable. You are unqualified. You don't have the credentials. You haven't read the Bible enough. You haven't done enough. You don't know enough. And then and, and guess what? We, most, I don't know very many people who don't fall for that. that we find ourselves going, well, that's true. And I, I find myself when, when somebody implies, well, you didn't go to school. You don't have this. You don't have that. You're not qualified. I think, I know. It's awesome, isn't it? It's like, no, you don't understand. You're not, who, who, how come you can put yourself in and teach people? Because I'm just presenting to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. I actually have like the best job ever. I gather with a bunch of people. We all take out the same book and I walk through it. And if I'm wrong, you get to call me out on it. I mean, how, there's no better job, honestly. We, you have the same thing I have. The Bible says that you have a responsibility. When you receive truth, when you're going through the word, then in the, in the region of Berea, they heard what Paul had to say, and they searched the scriptures daily to see if what they said was true. Isn't that awesome? We get to study through it together. So if I get a little wacko, I got my little fact checkers right here. Where you can go, well, you know, I love you, Dan, but you, know, you, you said this about Ephesians 3 when you're teaching Galatians 1, but that doesn't seem to line up when you look at what you said. And then... I should be saying, did I say that? And we should be able to look, right? And you can do that with any Bible teacher, right? They'll all do that with you. Thank you. Because <laughs> you'll find that's not always true. Not everybody who wants to lead and teach is really wanting to lead and teach. They just like the position. And I want to encourage you, be, you know, just recognize, man, there's a strategy that's going to come in. It's going to imply that you're incomplete, that this person's not capable. Okay, but this is the gospel. We have the same outline. We have the same thing to work through and to walk through. The source, Satan, the strategy, undermine, the solution. Jesus said this, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth. Well, who's the truth? How's the, what's the truth? He said also in the gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except by me. He, he wasn't a separatist. He wasn't, you know, arrogant. He's just saying, listen, I'm, I love you so much. I'll tell you the only way by which you can be saved. Well, that's narrow-minded. I'm not, no, this is the only means by which you can have salvation. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. What a powerful thing. That's the solution. Okay, God, you have this. We're going to be troubled. You're going to face different things. Let's look now in Paul's life as we roll through this next section from verse 13 to 24. We have the truth. You, I, we will face trouble, the different things that are hard to sort out. But now let's consider the transformation. Beginning in verse 13. Of Galatians 1, for you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. 
how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried, notice this, to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous, notice, for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned in, again to Damascus. Let's pause there just for a moment. So Paul, Sharon, this was what happened in my life. You know how I was. And when this truth came to me, I didn't go get approval by the man-made system. I didn't look to some organization to give me my stamp of evangelist or whatever. He was so, so important that he just, you know, he had this encounter where he was literally blind for a while when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And then he just had to privately and personally sort out what that meant. I believe he spent literally years Sorting out what he'd been taught and what he'd just been taught. How did all this fit? This, this, this Old Testament stuff, as we would call it. And I believe it was an exciting time for him. I don't think it was any way discouraging. I think as he saw it, I mean, God, I got to sort this out. This was you. And I, sure, he could run over there and ask them, but they would probably say, you need to go talk to God about this. If you had an encounter with Jesus, which Jesus identified himself in that encounter, then you need to be in conversation with the one who met you. So he's very private, very intimate. It's not a group setting. I believe he just sorted this out. He didn't go to Jerusalem. I went to Arabia and returned again to, and I believe we went into the desert and processed this. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles, well, except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the region of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Within the Bible, we have Genesis to Revelation. So, you know, that's it's a significant book in the sense of, you know, compilation of, of the books. But can we agree that that's not a lot considering this is the most important truth in all of human history? Considering within Genesis to Revelation contains everything that pertains to life and godliness, that's what we're told. It's actually kind of a small book, agreed? And so if something made the cut, it's pretty important. If something was repeated, I'm going to say it's meant to be noticed. If something's repeated a second time for three times of an entry, you got to go, I think I need to pay attention to this. You know what's repeated three times? Paul's experience in regards to transformation, specifically what we call his conversion. In Acts chapter 9, in Acts chapter 22, and in Acts chapter 26, we have the details of this regeneration of this man and the transformation, this conversion experience. It's his new beginning. And we get to see his life a little bit. And as you read through the New Testament and you see he was the instrument that the author God wrote his word through. And in these different letters have Paul's thumbprint on it. You see this life that's being changed. 
And it's evident that Paul continues to grow and to mature in this new life that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul, like you and I, was changed from the inside out. Religion tries to change you from the outside in. See, religion is where we realize, ah, gosh, I got to get my act together. I actually had a person tell me this. I'd worked in, um, the, I worked in the trucking industry doing wreck repair on semis for 20 years. And it was about roughly 10 years in that I, I had my conversion experience, my regeneration, my you know, new beginning. And there's others that observed that things were changing about Davis. You heard about Davis? Yeah, I guess he got religion. And some of them would say to me directly, it's like, so what's the deal? You know, you got kind of cleaning up your act, got a little religion going on. Like I just rescheduled my Sunday mornings, you know, more effectively. Like there was something new I was interested in, which is all true. I was doing that. But I wasn't doing it so I could be a different person. I was doing it because I was a different person. My, my interests were changing. There's something that was just unfolding as I was brought to the truth of, of my own sin, as I was brought to an understanding of my own need for forgiveness. And I would say by the grace of God, I agreed with God that I needed forgiveness, that I needed what Jesus offered. He was God. He died for my sins. I just accepted it. I don't, still can't explain it entirely, but it's still a truth I know to be true. And as I started then living different, I experienced this love, and I, I just literally am living different. And my buddies would say, hey, let's go Friday night, living, you know, living for the weekend, let's do it. Like, how was we time? What, you too good for us now, Davis? How come you don't want it? What, you think, you know, you, oh, you got your Bible, Mr. Holy Roller, Mr. Church Boy. Those are the things I, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you. <laughs> so it's like, I'm like, What? I had this one guy say to me, because I wanted to spend time with my wife. He says, what? 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 And I'm like, are you kidding me? First of all, I'll tell you a couple things. She's way better to look at than you. You're kind of ugly. <laughs> Second of all, we do stupid things together. There's a principle that's not published very often. If, if you have one man, you have one half a brain. When you bring in two men, you're down to one quarter. <laughs> Three men, and, and, and this is all oriented, what I'm talking about is around adrenaline and really dumb ideas. You bring in a camera, it goes really bad really fast. So some of these guys, when we would do adrenaline stuff, we just did really stupid things. And it was fun, it was near death. There's something that charges your batteries when you're almost unplug them. Well, I would tell them, guys, you guys, I don't know. I'd rather hang out with her. See, their perception is they only see the outside. They didn't realize that there's something totally different. I have a, I have a new understanding of what love is. I don't understand. I can't even tell people about it because I don't understand it. But I have a peace that surpasses understanding. And I start, you know, kind of living different because I'm different inside. It's so important that we see that. If you find yourself in a mess, in a hard spot, in a tough time, and you've come to church or you go to church to kind of get your life together, realize it has to begin on the inside first. You can't just change your disciplines, cut loose some cash in the offering plate, hang out serving in some way, and make yourself feel better about life. It won't change you. It's just a polished version of a sinner. It's much better to realize, man, I need to change from the inside out. 
And that's the transformation. That's what we see taking place in Paul. It's recorded. And, and notice in verse 22 through 24, Paul knew, I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea. See, we are unknown by face, literally in that, to the churches of Judea, contemporarily, they don't know us. Most, all of us, we're generally speaking, unknown by face in the body of Christ. You have your circle of influence and your peers and such as it is, but we're unknown. But may God be known because of the way we live. See, I may be unknown, I am unknown to people, but I'm well known to God. You are unknown to people. You may be very private in your faith. You may not speak verbally very often, but you're making a statement by the way you live. You're making a statement and you're, you're revealing this love that's in you. Is being shine, it's shining through you, and people know. Because see, that's what's happening. That those in the church knew God had done a powerful work in Paul's life. We know that from verse 24. Verse 24, they glorify God in me. As I said, I had people where I was working and friends that, you know, Davis got religion, cleaned up his life, he cleaned up his act, he's getting his life together. They only seen the outside. But those who really knew me, and we spent time together, and I was able to clarify to them, it's not just the Sunday morning thing, it's the, the mortality thing, it's the reality thing. And, and they were able to see it wasn't just me, I didn't just change my life. I was born again, and, from the, and, they, and they literally glorified God, those who had that awareness. Some of these people that observed me, they just thought I was just doing something different. And, and one particular person, Sam, as I spoke with him, he wanted to know why I changed, why it was different. And I shared, I honestly, Sam, I don't have all the answers in that regards. I'm still kind of working things out, but I know there is a God. I believe Jesus is God. I believe he, he, he forgives me of my sins. And I really didn't have any more of a dissertation than that is all I could say. About three, four months later, Sam comes to me and says, hey, you know, it was really cool talking to you at the, you know, after, after break the other day. Uh, just going to let you know, my wife and I were, we kind of got plugged back in church. They got, they, they, they realized, hey, where are we at? If this foul mouth sinner can get saved, uh, there's so much more hope for us. And they were already born again, I believe. You see what I'm saying? God was glorified. I didn't have to verbalize it. It's, it's okay. So I want to encourage you. May God be glorified in your life. To see, they glorify God in me. How is that? They've seen Paul's life and recognized God did the work. Knowing God did the work, they realized God could do a work in me as well. And they removed excuses and all the different explanations and all the interferences we retain. And, and God was glorified. Let's, with that thought, let's carry over to 1 Thessalonians. We've looked at... The truth sets us free. The truth, uh, the essential foundational things we need to be aware of. We recognize that there's trouble in life. Even as you follow the Lord, there's going to be people that come in. There's going to be things that come in. There's going to be your own ideas that can be troubling. But then there's this transformation as well. And as we consider 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, we have Paul being an instrument that encouragement is brought through. Encouragement that was also a result of, of an observation. The church in Thessalonica had taken hold of the truth. 
They were willing to be, if you would, transformed. They wanted to be real in this reality of spirituality. Because they wanted to be real, there was an effect. Notice in verse 8, as this word is instructed back to them, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. People had seen the difference of the people there in the church in Thessalonica. But it goes on and says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from, the idol, from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, the transformation was taking place in Thessalonica. And the believers there were known in their community and in the area that they had turned literally from this corrupt world, they had turned to the living God. And there wasn't a system, there wasn't an order. They didn't follow Paul, you know, as some type of, you know, elite leader. But they were just changed. And there was a real evident thing. Do you notice that? You turn to God from idols. You turn to God from serving these things that are just don't, they're man-made and handmade and they have no power other than to destroy. They turn from those. May that be our description before people too, because you notice it concludes with even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Even the secular world, those who are not interested in spiritual truths, they're willing to recognize Scripture. It's usually through entertainment or maybe sometimes mockery. But they recognize this world isn't going to continue this way. There will be Armageddon. There will be end days. There will be last times. How much more should we recognize? We have been saved from the wrath to come. What that means is putting faith in Christ... God will not pour his judgment out on a Christ-rejecting world. He will, but you won't be in it because you've accepted Christ. If you're not born again now, you're living in risky days because we are in the last days. And you are living with a sense of like, I'll just wait and see. And the Bible tells you and me now is the day of salvation. The time, the, 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 the removal of the church and the entering into this horrible, terrible time of judgment, the tribulation period... Really, we're to, we're to understand that's at any moment. It can take place at any moment. And I, it just scares me to think that even some people today that might be here or are listening online, you have, you've, you've resisted Christ and you said, I don't, not now, maybe later. And in doing that, you're, you're putting yourself where you could be literally saying, I don't want, I'll just deal with God's wrath. I'll deal with it. It won't be that bad. Read about it. It's worse than you can imagine. I want to encourage you, just... Man, get to know Jesus. This is really what it's all about. Guard your heart from religion, but get to know Jesus. We'll have the worship team come back up, and uh, we are going to close in a, in a song of worship together. Why don't you stand with me, if you would, please? I hope you can tell. I know I've stated it, but I really love being able to do what I do because I get to do it with you. We get to go through the word together. We get to look at it. We get to approach it. But 
let's not think it's just a human effort. I believe God calls us to this very day. I believe he's brought us to this very point. Because I believe he loves us, and I believe that's been proven. For God so loved the world that he gave himself, his one and only son. And I, I, just, want to, I just want to know his love more. I want to somehow share it. I want to receive it from you. I want to know it to be true more and more. I hope that's for you too. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time that we can look into your word and consider, Lord, ponder and wonder. But we know, God, we can't just figure it out with our intellect. For the spiritual things are, are spiritually discerned and revealed. They're not just, you know, reasons through. The Holy Spirit, you speak to our hearts and you know if there's anyone here today who has not taken that first step of, of agreeing that they need you, Jesus, of recognizing their own sin and the need for forgiveness. If there's someone here today, Holy Spirit, will you prompt them to know that truth? If you're that person, I would just ask you right where you are, just, just literally, if you could just almost put everyone in this room aside and fix your eyes upon God and agree with God. God, I need your forgiveness. I, I, I want what you offer this new life. I regret my sin. I'm I'm sorry for what I've done in life. And I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for this new life, Jesus. I believe you died for my sins. And only you can forgive me for you are God. And in asking that, I would ask God that you would show me now how to live. How to go forward from here. Protect me from my own ideas. From religion and anything that would trouble me. Teach me this new transformation. This new life that begins on the inside. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done. As we all say that together, thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. In your name we sing. Amen.